Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Vynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Mindy McGrath. In today's episode, we're going to discuss a few recent newsworthy items we think healthcare leaders should be considering. I'm here with Vynamics' Ryan Hummel and Jen Burke, who's back from family leave, to talk about what's trending now. Welcome back, Jen. Thanks, Mindy. It's so good to be back. There has been a ton happening recently in the healthcare industry, but I imagine the big thing that we're all going to want to talk about today is the federal omnibus spending package that President Biden recently signed into law. No doubt about it, Jen, there are many health provisions that actually showed up in this legislation. It's a massive spending package, which I feel like that's been the theme of what we've been talking about on Trending Health over the last year is these major spending packages in which healthcare provisions are, are earmarked within there. So when you look at this, this one, it's no different. There are definitely some major increases to funding for federal agencies. So look at the fact that HHS, Health and Human Services, is going to receive about $120 billion in funding. And that's, that's really good for this agency since they oversee really important programs like Medicare, Medicaid, the FDA, and the National Institutes of Health. You know, call out a couple of areas of funding. The NIH is going to receive about $47.5 billion with very focused investments on research in Alzheimer's disease cancer, opioids, and around health disparities. The CDC is receiving funding to strengthen the public health infrastructure, which we know that that has been a point of of attention since COVID took place, is just the, the frailty of our public health infrastructure. So I think that's really good that CDC is, is receiving some funding to really focus on that. A few things that, that I would call out that didn't receive funding we didn't see any increased funds for the Title X, which is a federal family planning program that directs grants for birth control and reproductive health for low-income women. We also didn't see an increase in dollars to combat COVID-19, although one could say that by focusing on modernizing the public health infrastructure, there is some forward-looking thinking around preparedness for future pandemics and endemics. I wanted to add a few things from my desk around what some of the things on this package extends. In the package extends Medicare telehealth flexibilities through 2024. So that gives us two solid years of extensions. If you think about that addition, the deadline for these flexibilities has been tied to days after the COVID public emergency. In the past, it kind of created a one foot in, one foot out kind of situation and meant that the precise date was unclear as health and human services continue to renew this in kind of 90-day increments. So it was really tough to figure out how this would move forward. But under this legislation, providers would be able to lean on flexibilities guaranteed through the next two years. And if you think about usage and you hear kind of anecdotally who is utilizing uh, telehealth, you think about things like in folks like community health centers who are safety net locations for primary care providers, and they serve low-income and medically underserved communities. They played a very key role in the last three years around telehealth. And having this extend through 2024 
really helps the underserved community because we've seen such an uptick in telehealth usability and utilization. So I think that's a really positive move towards health equity. On the flip side, Ryan, another piece that had previously been tied to the national public health emergency status that has been changed within this legislation is the Medicaid disenrollment that the states go through. So this law actually ended a pandemic era provision that prevented states from disenrolling Medicaid recipients while the emergency status was in effect. And this was in exchange for a federal match. So we saw a record 90 million Medicaid enrollees. Unfortunately, many of them will no longer meet the income requirements required to qualify when on April 1st, these states can start to evaluate their enrollees and terminate coverage. So this does mean that up to 19 million people could lose their Medicaid benefits, according to some estimates, but hopefully these individuals should be eligible for other coverage. The reasoning for this change within the legislation was apparently to offset the cost of extending CHIP for another few years that was in this legislation, as well as the expansion of Medicaid coverage for postpartum women up to 12 months. Beyond this expansion of the maternal postpartum coverage, there was a lot of additions within this legislation that added funding to mental health and addiction services. Mindy, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. I, I, earlier this year, we talked about the introduction of 988, the nationwide hotline for mental health emergencies. That hotline is set to receive about $500 million in funding, which is about a $400 million increase. So I think it shows that there is a, a real focus right, on, on trying to utilize this hotline as a way to expand access in mental health. That was one area that I think really stood out in this legislation is the intention to continue to build this as a foundation for access for mental health services. Yeah, Mindy, it's great to see funding being increased and putting some real oomph behind it. The Mental Health Access Improvement Act, it should be noted as legislation that it was authored by in a bipartisan way from Representative Thompson from California and Katko from New York, which expands access to mental health services for seniors. And that was included. And that's really exciting. And, you know, I think it's really important to mention that it closes a gap that existed in federal law that prevented licensed counselors from being acknowledged as Medicare providers. And if we think about licensed professionals or licensed counselors, LPCs, they're usually master level mental health service providers trained to work with individuals, families, and groups in all sorts of emotional and behavioral and mental disorders. And, and they were not being recognized as Medicare providers. And so we're talking something like 225,000 additional licensed mental health professionals. We've talked about the workforce shortage, whether it's clinical or non-clinical across the country and across the globe. And this will allow and increase access for patients from a mental health perspective. The funding bill also included provisions aiming to make it easier for providers to prescribe certain types of opioid addiction medication, which we know is kind of ravaged many parts of the country. And in the past, providers had to achieve and obtain kind of a separate waiver from the DEA to prescribe drugs. But this bill would let providers who are already DEA registered to prescribe the drug for opioid use disorder without this kind of extra step. And you think about pathways and access, having that extra step removed really allows 
providers, physicians, nurse practitioners, and prescribers to, to make this a little more easier, which will in turn make it easier to treat opioid addicted patients. Ryan, I think beyond just expanding access within the mental health and the addiction spaces, this legislation did have an eye towards some specific provisions that will hopefully help ease some of the burden that our system is facing. Yeah, Jen, it's a really good point. And we know that there is a huge shortage in workforce around the healthcare sector as a whole. And you mentioned some of these important beginning of the funnel opportunities. We know this is a long-term problem. So we have to think of sustainable solutions to really look to the future to help fill this gap of supply. And so starting in 2026, there's an additional slew of Medicare-funded residency positions that will be available. As Mindy mentioned earlier, this is pretty focused, right? It's dedicated to psychiatric residencies and also in rural settings, which we know there's huge access issues in the rural hospital environment in the United States. And then also allowing states to request visa waivers for foreign-born physicians who have completed a U.S. residency training program. Again, all of these things are kind of early in the value chain or early in the supply chain of clinicians, which should allow us to reap some benefits in the, in the future from this workforce shortage issue that's going to be with us for some time. Thanks, Ryan. We've talked a lot about the provisions within this legislation that have to do with our public health agencies, that have to do with our healthcare systems and expanding access for patients. But I'm curious, Mindy, is there anything in this bill that our life science listeners would be interested in learning more about? The bill does add oversight to the FDA over drugs that have gone through either the expedited or the accelerated approval process. There will also be, as part of this legislation, an intra-agency council that will be created to ensure that the pathway to accelerated approval is being used appropriately, given some of the headlines that we've talked about previously, where there's been concern that perhaps that pathway was being utilized in not the most optimal fashion. At the same time, this legislation also expedites the process for being able to withdraw approved drugs that have been in market. Overall, when I think about what the legislation was was intended to do when it came to life sciences or the life sciences arena, it's really to start to feed the FDA or challenge the FDA to take action to modernize and improve their clinical trials, including this increase in diversity and engagement of trial participants. So we talked about how this, this bill, before it became law, was pretty expansive. And even with things that didn't show up in the bill, I feel like there are such a, a large number of areas that the legislation actually touches, either through funding and or some mandates and provisions that these agencies are going to need to adopt going forward. Thanks, Mindy and Ryan, for taking us through this very important piece of legislation. It was certainly a lot to unpack and a lot that we will watch unfold over the course of this year. We know the only constant in this industry is change, so I can't wait to hear what we're talking about next month. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode, where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.